Well, thank you for joining us for worship today. We're so glad to see you. Are you glad to be here? Well, at least half of you are. So let's try that again because I caught some of you off guard and it's okay. Are you glad to be here? It's, uh, you know, it's always awesome to gather together with your faith family, with uh, the body of Christ and, and worship, you know. Worship is about when our heart reaches out and touches the heart of God. It's about us saying, hey, God, you are worthy and there is no one like you. Amen. You know, and that's what it's all about. And it's just so exciting to see uh, you here today. Exciting that folks can join us on live stream. We're thankful for that technology. Well, today we're going to continue with our Cost of Discipleship series, a three-part series that we started last week. Today we'll be looking in just a moment from John chapter 6. Uh, picking up with verse 66. Well, you know, as we think about discipleship, there is a lot of, I guess, I don't know, I grew up in the church and, and I heard about discipleship and discipleship classes and discipleship now, youth weekends and all kinds of things that I participated in. But, but sometimes I think there is, uh, when it comes to discipleship, even among Christians, there's a lack of clarity. And what happens is that leads to some confusion, and, uh, and certainly there is a potential for misunderstanding. Now, last week we talked about a certain rich young man who came to see Jesus, and he came seeking something from Jesus because he, he heard that he was offering this thing called eternal life. And the rich young man thought, well, you know, I've got it all. I've got everything money you can buy, but this is one thing I don't have. And, and so when he went and talked to Jesus, Jesus in conversation kind of exposed his heart, uh, what he was really after. He wasn't truly seeking to be a disciple of Christ, you know, so the man ends up walking away. And, but, uh, you know, we understand or we need to understand that when it comes to Jesus, there, there shouldn't be any room for confusion, um, Jesus wanted discipleship from that man, and that man was not willing to make the sacrifice to do what he needed to do to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. We need to understand that when it comes to discipleship, it's about being called to a complete and total devotion to Jesus Christ. And understand that we're not talking about certain levels of believers. Now, that's often what, what happens, and I've seen it in all my years in, in pastoring and, and growing up in the church. I've seen these different levels of Christianity that spring up within the church and say, well, yeah, sure, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Christ. You know, you've got the folks that are dedicated. And, and understand, when I say dedicated, I'm, I'm not just talking about the people who are there at church every time. Now, I grew up in a, a traditional Southern Baptist church that, the, the, you know, there was Sunday morning and there's Sunday night and there was stuff going on on Wednesday night. And, uh, and one of those phrases that we say, but as a kid, I was drugged, right? Anybody else get drugged as a kid? I was drugged to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and pretty much any time the doors were open. And some of you may have had that same type of experience. But I want you to understand that being a committed Christian isn't about being at church every time the doors are open. It's not about being at every worship service. It's not about getting that little pin that says you have perfect attendance in Sunday school or, or whatever it might be. You see, it goes much deeper than that. We can show up in body, physically be there, but that doesn't mean that we get it. We're talking about being a dedicated follower of Jesus Christ, being a dedicated disciple of Jesus Christ. And quite frankly, I think that there are some people who are occasional followers of Christ. They follow Christ when it suits them, when it seems to be the thing to do, 
when they're having that conversation with the neighbor who's talking about going to church and, and what they're doing at their church. Oh, yeah, I go to church. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting how, especially when people find out that I'm a, a pastor or a preacher, that suddenly everybody gets religion, you know, because they want to be in on that conversation. Uh, I spent a couple of years living in Louisville, and down in Louisville, there's this humongous church called Southeast Christian Church. I don't know what the membership is now, but, but uh, with all the satellites and everything, I think there's somewhere around 30,000 people in, in service, or they were, before, you know, pre-quarantine stuff anyway, I think. Uh, somewhere around 30,000 people with all the campuses. But living in Louisville, uh, when I would go out and about and I'd meet people, and you know, one of the questions that always comes up is, hey, what do you do? Well, I'm a pastor of this church over here. And they're like, oh, yeah. And if they uh, wanted to get in on the conversation, they would say, oh, oh yeah, we go to Southeast Christian Church. You know, who's, who's going to say you don't, right? It's like what I found out later was pretty much what most of them went. We've been to Southeast Christian Church because, you know, they have this huge Easter pageant, and, and we went to that, or they have this huge Christmas program, and, and we went to that. But that's that's sometimes the, the occasional Christian or the occasional church member. We're, we're there when it, when it suits us, when it, you know, we don't have anything else to do or we want to get involved in the discussion. And, and sometimes it might be just kind, of a, we're just kind of a recreational Christian or a recreational church member. But I'm here to tell you that the call to discipleship is a big call. It's about a life of submission. It's about t- being totally submitted to Jesus Christ. It's about a life of surrender. It's about a life of surrendering the things that we want in favor of what Christ wants in our lives. It's about being totally devoted to being a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, the reality is is that we cannot be what Jesus has called us to be fully all the time because there's a little thing that we deal with, this little three-letter word. Anybody know what that might be? Sin. You know, there's this little thing called sin in our lives. We are born into a broken world. We live with a sinful nature, and no matter how, tr- how hard we try and how, you know, how devoted that we want to be, sin has a way of creeping in, doesn't it? It has a way of, of getting in the way. And um, quite frankly, we live in a very sinful world, a, a very sinful culture. And a sinful culture that's, instead of being all about Christ, it's all about the me, Right? I didn't say meme, in case you're wondering. I said it's all about the me. Although the me makes memes and says, hey, look at me, right? But that's the culture that we live in. You know, there's a place between what, what God calls us to be and, and what really is. And the thing is, is we just strive to do our best. John Wesley, the founder of, of, the, uh, of Methodism, the United Methodist Church, he had this thing that he talked about often. It was called Christian perfection. And in this idea of Christian perfection, it's something that we as followers of Jesus Christ seek to attain. Now, some would say, well, we can never be perfect, so we just stop trying. But that's not it. True discipleship says, you know what, I'm going to give it my best every day. Any sports fans in here? Okay, all right, some of you are like nodding, of course I am, you know. And some of you are like, oh, another sports analogy, you know. But, but anyway, you know, if, if, you're, if your favorite team, you know, field, fields of players, let's, let's, let's just go with uh, football because 
football season would be starting normally, and I guess it is some places are playing, some places are not. But anyway, uh, you know, football, and you've got this team, this guys. And, and what if your favorite player out there on your favorite football team shows up to camp and he says, you know what, I'm a star, I'm good, I don't have to try. You know, what's going to happen? Well, the coach may put him out there anyway just because he is who he is or he has that name power. But what's going to happen when the games start going on? He's not going to perform. He's not going to live up to what his reputation might be. And certainly he's not going to be his best on the field. We, as followers of Jesus Christ, are all called to get in the game. No one one of us is, is called to sit on the sidelines. We're all called to be in the game. And if we want to give our best effort, if we want to give it our best, then we have to decide that we're going to be true followers of Jesus Christ. We're going to be a true disciple of Christ. And we're going to realize that we're going to make mistakes. Kind of like that football player. He's not going to be perfect on every play. We realize that they're going to make mistakes, but that doesn't keep us or should not keep us from trying and giving our very best. When I was in sports in school, you know, the coaches had a way of, okay, come on, boys, it's time to give your 110%. And the logical math major in me is going, you can't have 110%, right? You get 100%, that's all there is. You can't give anymore, right? But, you know, what's that a call? That's a call to, to try to go out there and give it your very best and try to achieve more and more and more each and every time. That's what it is when we need, uh, when we think about what Jesus is calling to, what, what we are called to be as followers of Jesus Christ. We try harder, and we try, and we try. What's going to happen is if we're not careful, busyness will get in the way, and we'll get busier and busier, and it might feel like we made some progress, but in the meantime, you know, we'll, we can just be busy about trying to be followers of Christ instead of being truly devoted followers of Jesus Christ. So again, we have to be careful about that. It's Because being a follower of Jesus Christ, it isn't about just being at church service more often. It isn't about just doing those kind of things more often. It isn't about just showing up to help clean the church more often or showing up on work days or all of that kind of stuff. See, we can be busy about the business of the church, but that does not make us true disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, as true disciples of Jesus Christ, I think we want to serve within our faith family and minister to our faith family so it makes us want to show up. And, and be involved in work days and, and help out in all of those things that are going on. But the true discipleship, the true follower of Jesus Christ is one who follows Him each and every day, even though it's hard and even though sometimes we get, we get tired and we're ready to give in. And sometimes it might even feel impossible, but we get up, we pull ourselves up by the bootstraps, and we seek to be a follower of Jesus Christ each and every day, to follow Him exclusively, to love Him above all others, and to serve Him devotedly. Let's take a look at this passage from John chapter 6 this morning. It says this, after many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him, Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You see, Jesus started off his ministry with miracles. And Jesus started off his ministry by doing some very impactful things that were out of the ordinary to show that he had the power, that he was God and that he could do these things. I'm talking about, you know, the, the big stuff like feeding the masses, you know, showing up and there's a bunch of folks and you take the 
the loaves and the fish and the, uh, basically a boy's lunch, and then you feed uh, the feeding of the 5,000 is what we say. Scholars will tell us that men and, I mean, women and children didn't count, so there could have been 15,000, 18,000 people there. And Jesus took the lunch of a boy and he fed the masses. And Jesus healed the sick and the lame got up and the dead rose. And all of these things Jesus was doing to establish his authority over the earthly powers. That he is who he says he is. But towards the end of his ministry, Jesus began to do fewer and fewer of the miracles. Things began to get tougher and Jesus began to ask the hard questions. And so as the disciples are falling away, what happens? Jesus goes and to his disciples, the 12, the 12 that he handpicked, and he says, are you ready to go away too? Because this is not all fun and games. This is going to be difficult. Are you ready to be a true follower of Jesus Christ? And our question is the same today. Are we ready to be a true follower of of Jesus Christ, no matter whatever the cost of discipleship might be. Why don't you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word to us today. And Lord, we pray that, uh, that today our hearts and minds are opened and that we come away with more and more determination to be who you've called us to be, to be the followers that you have called us so that we might make a difference in this world because this world needs to see you. This world needs to see your love. This world needs to see your representatives at work sharing the good news and living a godly life so that your uh, kingdom sees the increase and you get the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray it all. Amen. You ever spent much time thinking about these 12 guys that Jesus called the disciples, the first disciples, or, or, or the term we sometimes use is apostles. These chosen twelve that Jesus called. Do you, ever, you ever think about these guys and how they're made up? It's kind of an interesting crew, I think, with these guys. You know, it's kind of like, if you remember as a kid on the, on the playground, and you know, you go out at school and you go out at recess, and hey, we're going to play kickball. Okay, everybody line up. Tommy, you and, you and Billy, you, you be the captains, and you guys choose. And, you know, and so you get to the captain, and you choose, and you choose the team. Well, you want to pick the best players, right? You want to pick the guys, the, the, the kids that can kick the ball the farthest. You want to pick the guy that can catch the ball. You want to kick the guy that just runs fast. You, know, you, you want all the best players because you want to win, right? So you pick the best team. Anybody else do that differently? No, I want you because you can't even run without falling down. I want you because you swing and miss and it's kickball. You know, you know those kinds of things. You, no, no, that's not what you do. You, you want the best because you want to compete. You want to win, right? Well, Jesus picked a, this team of 12, but he used a bit of a different approach. You know, he didn't go to the wealthy businessman. He didn't go to the key political leaders when he chose these 12. He, he picked a, a mixed up bunch. As a matter of fact, the term that I use here is Motley Crew. And so when I did a search for Motley Crew, that's what came up. I don't think the disciples looked like those guys, though. I don't think they played guitar and sang or anything like that. But, but the, he picked a Motley Crew. These were, these were some rough-and-tumble guys. The, these were guys that, you know, they were fishermen. They were outdoorsmen, you know, for the most part anyway. Uh, this was, again, not, not a single seminary student among them. You know, these were not, not the people that we would think that Jesus would pick. But he picked this motley crew, and then Jesus said, 
I'm going to use this 12 to change the world. These unlikely heroes of the faith. And so Jesus spends a night in prayer and he picks the 12. And uh, actually, I found this online. This was asking the question, what if Jesus, in choosing the 12, had gone to a consulting firm and, and asked about the candidates whom he chose? And this is the letter to Jesus, son of Joseph, woodcrafter's carpenter shop in Nazareth from the Jordan Management Consultants in Jerusalem. It says this, Dear Sir, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you have picked for your managerial positions in your new organization. All of them have now taken our battery of tests, and we have not only run the results through our computer, but also arranged personal interviews for each of them with our psychologist and vocational aptitude consultant. The profiles of the tests are included, and you'll want to study each of them carefully. As part of our service, we make some general comments for your guidance, much as an auditor will include some general statements. This is given as a result of staff consultation and comes without any additional fee. It is the staff opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you are undertaking. They do not have the team concept. We would recommend that you continue your search for persons of experience in managerial ability and proven capability. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. (laughs) Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, place personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine morale, and we feel it is our duty to tell you that Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus definitely have radical leanings, and they have both registered a high score on the manic depressive scale. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He is a man of ability and resourcefulness and meets people well, and also has a keen business mind and has contacts in high places. He is highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible, so we recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. All the other profiles are self-explanatory, and we wish you every success in your new venture. Uh, you know, kind of from the world view, if, if the world, the consultant firms of today, examined the 12, what would they come up with? Well, I have a feeling that this probably, although we laugh about it, it probably wouldn't be too far off. Obviously, all the 12 had some faults. They had a lack of understanding. Even in the book of Mark, Jesus looks at them and basically says, are you so dull? Duh. You know, come on, get it through your thick skulls. That would be kind of my interpretation of what Jesus was saying. But that's literally what he says to them. Are you you not getting it? You know, they were worried about who is going to be the greatest and the most important. And Jesus is trying to teach them about servanthood and humility. Obviously, they missed the point. And then, of course, there was the, the night of Judas' betrayal. Obviously, he had a fault. And that night in Gethsemane, if you remember, Peter, James, and John, some of Jesus' kind of inner circle, what happened to those guys? Remember, Jesus said, look, you stay over here. I'm going to go over here and pray. And then a little bit later, Jesus comes back over. And what's happened to all three of them? Do you remember? They all fell asleep. They were tired. We're tired. Oh, it's been a long day, Jesus. A lot of stuff going on. We're tired. We fell asleep. All of them had faults. And then what about when Jesus was actually arrested? How many of them stuck around? They all ran away, didn't they? They all fled. 
And, and then we get Peter's denial. He's trying to inch in and get a little bit closer, try to hear what's going on, try to, try to keep up with what's happening to Jesus from the distance. And then somebody recognizes him and he's like, oh, it's not me. And three times Peter denied Jesus just as Jesus had foretold. And then, of course, when Jesus actually comes back, raises, you know, is, is resurrected from the dead, what happens is Thomas sees him, you know, he says, I'm not going to believe it until I see it. And then even when he does show up, he wants to see the nail marks. I want to see your hands. I want to see your feet. Because I don't believe any of this. Hence why we often refer to him as doubting Thomas. They had flaws. Can any of you resonate with any of these guys? I know I do. I know I certainly have my flaws, mistakes that I've made, times that I failed in my faith. But you see, the thing is, is instead of looking at those guys and saying, oh my gosh, I'm so flawed too, I think we need to make sure that we look at those guys and say, look what Jesus did with these guys. Look what they did. You know, they were flawed and look what happened. Um, you know, outside of Judas, the rest went on and basically they became the... the sending board for all of what we know as Christianity today. They, although the Bible doesn't give us the whole story, we know that traditionally they all went out just as they were called to do and went into different parts of the world and began taking the gospel, the good news, all around different parts of the world. This is what Christianity began with these guys. Jesus told them that they would have a mission and they would be sent out. And sure enough, after Jesus was resurrected, ascended back into heaven, they went about the business of getting out the good news. So these guys who regularly, we, we all kind of owe a, a, a debt of gratitude uh, to, uh, to these guys. Debt of gratitude. How did I say that? Debt of gratitude. Anyway, um, to these guys for, for being followers of Jesus Christ, even though they were flawed, they picked up the pieces, they went out, and they spread the good news of Jesus Christ. I think for us, that means that there is hope for us too. Amen? Isn't that good news that there is hope for us too? These guys were handpicked, they regularly blew it, and yet Jesus used them to kick off what we know as Christianity today. He used them to spread the good news, to, to, to go around the world and begin to make disciples for Jesus Christ. What was it about these guys, other than being flawed, they had one common characteristic among the twelve, and that was teachability. This, I think, becomes the most important aspect for us as followers of Jesus Christ. We have to be able to be teachable. That means we have to say, look, I don't know it all. I, I, I don't, and I don't know it all. I certainly feel like I need to know a lot more every day. I'm reminded of that. We have to be teachable, and we need a willingness to grow and a desire to grow. I saw story about a young woman who registered to go to college and then as she was filling out the questionnaire that they sent her her heart sank because the question said are you a leader so this young woman both honest as well as conscientious wrote no because she didn't feel she was and she sent the application back with all the other answers expecting the worst but to her surprise she received this response Dear applicant, a study of the application form reveals that this year our college will have 1,452 new leaders. 
we are accepting you because we feel it is imperative to have at least one follower. Just be honest. You know, Jesus said, give me these 12 teachable men. Of course, again, Judas fell away, but was replaced with a guy named Matthias. And he, he said, I can change the world. He invited them to follow him. He invited them to learn by spending time with him. These guys were all in. You see, we need to do the same. We still need to be spending time with him today. We need to understand that we got a lot to learn. So that comes down to the big question, are you willing? This idea of being a disciple of Christ means we've got to be teachable, but how teachable are we really? You see, we've got to be able to grow. What happens to a pool of water, a little pool of water, if it just sits and there's no wind moving across it and there's no life moving through it and it just sits and sits and sits with no motion, no anything happening there? It becomes stagnant, right? You ever smelled a stagnant pool of water? Not anything you want to go traipsing through, I know that. Stagnant. Things die. There's no growth. And we will become stagnant if we don't have movement, if we don't have growth as followers of Jesus Christ. And I want, I want to make a very important point, and that is this. Sometimes we, we say, yeah, I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going, to, I'm going to be a better disciple of Christ. I'm going to learn. I'm going to grow. But there are struggles and there are failures. But understand that struggles and failures do not equal a lack of devotion. You know, as long as we're trying, they're just growing pains. They're just growing pains. Don't think that because you say, I'm going to be a disciple of Christ, I'm going to follow Christ, and those first things that you try to do, you, you, you fail. You struggle. You can't get your act together. Again, they're growing pains. You pick up the pieces, tomorrow's a new day, and you start it all over again. It's a willingness to grow. It's a willingness to to fail. It's a willingness to have struggles. In the book of Acts, we see some of the willingness of the disciples that, that came to fruition. Particularly, we're talking about Peter and John. In Acts 4.13, it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. You see, these ordinary guys, Peter, who suffered from hoof and mouth disease, Spoke before he thought, you know. John, who certainly was very self-centered, egotistic. You ask him who the best disciple was, he'd tell me, I am the beloved. Ask him who the best fisherman, he'd say, me, no doubt. You know, I, I don't think, I think that was the kind of guy that we're dealing with. And yet, people looked at them and what they saw were ordinary people. And yet, people were astonished. Because they showed that they had been with Jesus. When someone meets you, when someone gets to know you, when you are having a conversation or, or making acquaintances with someone, do they know that there's something about you? Are they a little bit astonished because you've been with Jesus? Just an ordinary person. But yet, 
when we've been with Jesus, when we have sought to be the best disciples that we can be, it makes a difference. You see, we don't have to have a seminary degree or, or a master of divinity or a doctorate of ministry or any of those things. We, we don't have to have that. We just need the willingness. Now, there's nothing wrong with formal education. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying we don't have to have that. And there are a lot of people in churches that I've been in, you know, they have this mindset, well, you got the education, Pastor, right? You're the one who's supposed to do the work. <laughs> Well, it takes us all. We are all called to be followers of Jesus Christ. That means we are all called to be about the business of our Lord. It's not, it's not just the pastor. And I would tell them, you know, those who would develop that attitude, I said, here's the deal. Look, I only know so many people. And I can talk to them about Christ. I can share the love of Jesus. I can invite them to church. But that's only so many people. How many more people do you know that I don't know? And how many poor people do you know that I don't know? And if all of us are doing that, if all of us are seeking to share the good news, if all of us are seeking to be true disciples of Christ, if all of us are seeking to share the love of Jesus all around us, what begins to happen now? It's not just the handful of people that I know and the handful of people that you know and the handful of people that you know, although I found out apparently this past week in going to the doctor that Charlene back there is related to half of Boone County. So, so she knows a lot of people. So, so maybe we just make sure you get Charlene on board. But, but anyway, I'm just saying, you know, we only know so many people, even if it's half of Boone County, because someone out there knows some uh, the other half and and on over in Kenton and Campbell and all around. But, you know, we need to pull our resources together to work together as the body of Christ, to work together as a faith family. And what happens is that the kingdom of God sees the increase. What happens is that Christ's name is spread that much greater, to greater degrees all around the place. And we see the love of Christ having a strong effect on the world, on our community. God is looking or people who are teachable, that are willing to give their lives, and He doesn't expect perfect people, right? You know that, right? Jesus does not expect perfect people. There's only one perfect person that I know of. His name was Jesus that ever walked this earth. And so He doesn't expect perfect people. But what He does hope that we will do, expect us to be, is to be teachable, to seek to be followers of Christ. You know, the big question is not, it's not, am I able to follow Jesus completely, but rather, am I willing to follow Jesus completely? What does that look like? What does it look like for us as individuals to follow Jesus completely? Well, that means, for some of us, it means being that we need to give up control. Did you just say that? Did you say give up control? Because you know I am a type A control freak kind of person. Lisa and I were just having a conversation yesterday about schedules, and I'm a fairly scheduled person, but to her, compared to Lisa, I am the most carefree spirit in the world. <laughs> you know, so we're talking about schedules and how that works. You know, I, I'm a more general, general schedule, and she used the term block. You're a block scheduler. Sounds like school, you know. You're a block scheduler, you know. You got, you got these things, you want to get these things done. It's like because of family and because of, you know, the way it is with kids and trying to operate a huge household and all that things that she's done for so many years, which she does an amazing job. At, it's like every 15 minutes, you know. All right, 15 minutes, 15 minutes, 15 minutes. So anyway, we had this whole conversation. Now, here's the thing. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being scheduled. We're all wired differently. Some of you are like, scheduled, dude, what's that? <laughs> you know, and through all this quarantine, I'm doing good to know what day it is. All I know is today ends in Y, right? <laughs> so, you know, that's, that's about, for some people, you know, that's kind of the other extreme, and that may be all 
that, that we need to get through. Uh, but for other people, you, you just got to be scheduled out. Now, here's the thing. Again, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with scheduling, but what, I'm say, what I am saying is this. If everything you do is about you taking charge and making sure that you get things done, then there's a problem. You see, because giving up control is saying, okay, God, here's what my schedule looks like now. What does your schedule look like? What are the things that I need to do today so that you get the glory? Where are the things that I need to to, to go or, or where are all the places I need to go today and who are the people I need to see today or talk to today or communicate with today so, so that your kingdom sees the increase. What's that look like? That's about giving God the control, about saying, God, your way is better than my way. Give God control. We need to give up control for some of us. Some of us, it might be giving up some bad habits. Uh-oh, he just stepped on my toes, right? What do those bad habits look like? Well, those are things that you've got to figure out in your own life. What are the things that you do that you'd say, well, okay, this is probably not very Christ-like. This action in my life, this thing that I do, these things that I say, this manner of speaking, it's not very Christ-like. So the problem with that is that if you're trying to be a true Christ follower, you're trying to be a true disciple of Christ, that means that the things that we do should be reflective of Christ. So if there are things going on in our life, if there are those habits in our life that, we, that have a hold on us that do not reflect Christ, then we're not being a disciple of Christ in that area. We need to let those things go. We need to, again, try to make it right, knowing that we're flawed and know that we're going to make mistakes. And sometimes that action might slip out and sometimes that word might slip out and sometimes that thing may happen. But the thing is, again, we pick up the piece and we go back and we try to say, oh, Lord, I did it again. I'm sorry. Help me get my head back in the game so that you get the glory and that I can be the best disciple that I can be for you. Sometimes those bad habits slip us into sinful behaviors. For some of us, we just need to refocus our time and energy because I tell you, you know, has your life been crazy these last few months? I mean, is anybody in here that has not been affected by quarantines and COVID-19 and all that kind of stuff? Is there anybody? Okay, I don't see any hands going up, so that's good. That's good. Life's been crazy, right? And sometimes we just need to go, you know, I... I'm not sure I can handle this. And we just need to take a break and step aside, and there's nothing wrong with that. To kind of take a break, step aside, and just chill out, veg out, you know, just turn it everything off. Try to turn everything off for a little while. The problem is, is because things have been so crazy, we can step over here and say, okay, I'm going to take a few minutes, I'm going to veg out, I'm going to chill out, I'm going to turn it all off. But then we go, you know what, that felt really good. (laughs) And it was nice. And so now, next time we go over and we turn things off and we keep it turned off for a little while. And we find that that time that we're taking to just do mindless activities, you know, uh, binge watch that latest thing on Netflix that somebody was talking about. Not Tiger King, though. Stay away from that one. That's strange. Uh, You know, to, to binge watch something on Netflix or, you know, to read some mindless, scroll through some mindless blogs that you've been reading. And, and they may be fun. And there's nothing, I'm not saying don't ever watch show or TV, what I'm saying is, is that check 
where your priorities are. You might need to refocus your time and energy because what will begin to happen if you let it is those things as we go, wow, that escape felt really good. And yeah, take a break to refresh, but make sure that we're including Jesus in our refreshment time. Refocus your time and energy if you need to. It also might mean that we need to rethink our life philosophies because over time we've let a secular worldview begin to creep in and begin to affect how we think and how we act. Well, the world says this is okay. Well, as Christ followers, we don't get our concern ourselves about what the world has to say. We concern ourselves what God's Word has to say, what God is speaking to us, what Jesus wants out of us. That's what what I mean about getting back to a Christian worldview, about a Jesus worldview. We use that term that Joetta introduced to, introduced to us a few months ago, that, that comes around our house often, is that you've got to put your Jesus goggles on or Jesus glasses on, you know. Try to remember, get back to seeing things as Jesus sees them. Think about things with a positive perspective, with a godly worldview. Now again, we're going to fall, we're, we're going to slip up, we're going to make mistakes, and we might fail in our commitment. But again, the great thing is, is that The sun's going to go down, and the sun's going to come up, and every day is a new day. And the thing is, Jesus wants our willingness, not our ability, but He wants our willingness. And He wants us to be willing to give up our whole heart. And that means that we need to make sure that we are ready to accept the cost of grace. The apostles, they gave all they had, didn't they? Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what happened to every one of them. There is church tradition that tells us that all of them, with the exception of John, possibly, and again, we're not sure about all this, but again, this is Christian tradition, tells us that every one of them who went out died a martyr's death, with possibly the exception of John, who would have died of old age or natural causes. Died a martyr's death, some pretty hideous deaths, being crucified, being stoned, being boiled in oil, being beaten with a club, violent deaths because Jesus was their focus. Their lives were all about glorifying our Heavenly Father, about glorifying God, and about teaching people about the good news of Jesus Christ. But people have been resistant to hearing the good news of Jesus Christ since Jesus walked the earth. Anybody heard of a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Interesting guy. He um, was a German Lutheran pastor. He was a theologian. He was a writer as well as a participant in the German resistance movement against Nazism. He's arrested in March 1943. He was imprisoned and eventually hanged, but just before the end of the Second World in Europe, uh, dying a martyr's death. Bonhoeffer wrote, again, wrote several things, but there's a quote. It's kind of a lengthy quote, but I think it's really good when we talk about the cost of grace. It says this, Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again, the gift which must be asked for. The door at which a man must knock, such grace is costly because it calls us to follow, and is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life, and it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin, and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it cost God the life of His Son. We were bought at a price, 
and what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon His Son too dear a price to pay for our life, but be delivered Him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. Another Christian author wrote a great book about heaven, simply called Heaven, named Randy Alcorn. He said in connection with Bonhoeffer and studying Bonhoeffer and, and his words on grace, he says, cheap grace replaces truth, truth with tolerance, lowering the bar so everyone can jump over it and we can all feel good about ourselves. Grace never lowers the standard of holiness because Jesus didn't lower the bar, he raised it. Think about that for a moment. And we say, yeah, God's grace is free. It is freely offered to all who will accept it. That is truth. That is scripture. That is gospel truth. Jesus died and paid the price for you and for you and for you and for you, for me, for all of us. But if we lower the bar, we cheapen the grace. If we lower the bar, we take Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and make it less meaningful. And what I mean by that is saying, yeah, I want Jesus, but guess what? I want everything I want to do. I want all the stuff that I think is fun. I want all the kinds of things, you know, if I would want to do this, I don't care what God's Word has to say. I'm going to do it because I want to do it because it's what fills my bucket. See, the problem with that is that God's Word has some very poignant things to say about what it means to live a grace-filled life. It means that we do our best to avoid sin. You know, I see people every day who claim the name Jesus Christ who are tiddling around with sinful things, tiddling around with powerful things that will lead to sin. And not only do they do it, they talk about it on social media. That's not glorifying to Jesus Christ. Paul said, look, anything that has the appearance of evil, flee from it, run from it, get away from it, because it will trip you up. Because if we don't, what we're saying is, oh, that's okay, because God loves us all anyway. Amen, hallelujah, right? And what we're saying is that, yeah, that, that thing that Jesus did we died on the cross, yeah, Okay, that was a great thing for me, but right, that, that gives me the freedom because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, so I can do what I want to. No, that's not what it means. True discipleship means that we try to live like Christ, and guess what? Christ was perfect. Guess what else Christ did not do? He didn't sin. So if we want to be Christ-like and be a follower of Christ, that means that we get our act together and we seek to live a, a life that is Sin less, not sin more. And certainly not advertise it on Facebook. You see, that's part of the cost of discipleship. God loves us so much. He's got, you know, the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ. That should get us excited. You know, Jesus gave his life so that his grace would be free. It's free, but it's not cheap because that means that we have to give up our lives so that he gets the glory. If we're doing something so it's all about us, we got our priorities backwards and and Christ isn't getting the glory. It's about us following Jesus Christ. It's about us setting ourselves aside. 
Now, does that mean that, oh, well, it doesn't sound like Jesus wants to have any fun. Or it doesn't sound like that Jesus wants to enjoy one another. Well, that's not true at all. But what he's saying is, you live so that I get the glory. Why? Because what I have is better. You see, I think some people look at the things that, that you know, the Bible says, and they said, well, you know, but I wanted to do this, or I, I, wanted, you know, I wanted to get involved in this, but you know, it's, it's a question, and maybe that's kind of a sinful behavior, and maybe I shouldn't be doing that. And I don't think Jesus would have done that, but I really want to. Well, here's the thing. When, when we set something aside, and when we give up something, what happens is God gives us something greater. And part of the problem is that we live in a very impatient culture, and that impatience, it affects even us as Christians, right? Anybody here would say that they are the most patient person ever. And granted, some of us are probably more patient than others. I get that. But this idea of impatience, you know, our culture has created that because we have this instant culture. You know, we want it, we want it now. Some of us want it, we want it yesterday. We're still trying to figure out why Amazon can't read our minds and deliver what we wanted today before today. You know, so... We want it, we want it now, we want it yesterday. It just doesn't work that way. But along with that, then that makes us have a hard time, I guess, waiting for the blessings of Christ. Because sometimes Jesus says yes, and sometimes Jesus says no, and sometimes he says wait. But as a true disciple of Christ, that means we trust him, we trust what he's doing, we trust where he's going. And believe me, I I get impatient. You know, I'm excited to see where God is leading us as a faith family, one hope. You know, there's some, there's some good stuff that's been going on. You know, to, to come where we are, and, you know, I, I, can't, you know, I can't help but you know, get a little tingle of pastor pride when we talk, when we talk to folks about church and they say, yeah, you know, you know, we started back with our worship services after quarantine and, and all that, and, you know, people are afraid, and I get that, and, and that's okay. But he said, but, you know, um, when we came back, it's, Maybe 20, 25 percent of what we were pre-quarantine are coming back. And I said, "Really?" Because we came back like 50, 60 percent. You know, and um, that's awesome. And that's no knock against folks who decide not to. I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is that this idea of wanting to be together, this idea of coming together as a faith family. I mean, it. I'm so thankful that we have live stream. I'm thankful that we have folks that can join us, continue to join us on live stream. I'm so thankful for that. But, but there's nothing like you know, preaching to an iPad was getting old, let me tell you. I was glad I could do it, but, but it was so nice to see faces and so nice to have that interaction where I can look at you and, and you can look at me and stare at me and going, wow, that is a crazy shirt he's wearing, you know. All of those things, but, you know, that interaction, that human... Why? Because we are created. Even, even the most introverted will tell you that it is... We are created to, to desire some interaction. It's just that some need less than others, and that's okay. So it's just, you know, exciting to see where we're going. Because, you know, look at the calendar. We're starting to get things... Get new groups going. We've got retreats happening. We've got people getting together. With this, I'm really excited about this intentional... Uh, this, this intentional discipleship Bible study that, that Steve's going to be doing. I hope that, I hope that many of you will, will jump in there and, and decide, you know what, this is a great thing. I, I want to get involved. I want to do this. Because I'm very excited about it. Because what happens is, it means that for those who are going through it, it says, you know, I'm ready to go to the next level. I'm ready to, to seek 
what, where God is leading. I'm ready to be a better Christ follower, a deeper Christ follower. Now, I granted that it's not for everyone, and not everyone can, can give, commit that kind of time right now, but, but I'm just saying that this is an awesome opportunity, and I'm excited to see how many folks will jump on board and say, yeah, we want to do this. You know, excited to be, continue to have Bible studies on, on Wednesday nights. I, I, I love that, by the way. If you've not had a chance to come and be a part on that. Again, we do live stream, but we'd love to have you come Wednesday nights at 6.30. You know, the, the, we, the one night, um, the second Wednesday is always wingman, but, but the other nights we're doing Bible study right here. I love that because I love the interaction that takes place, the questions, the, uh, the communication that we can share back and forth as we study God's Word. Just a lot of exciting things, planning a lot of great things. You know, we've got a, uh, some outreaches coming up. We are, we're planning a movie night. Now, you say, well, why does a movie night happen? But, you know, the movie night says we care about the community because it's not just for us, it's for the community. It's saying, hey, guess what? We understand that times are hard, and, and we want to give you a night, kind of, a night to relax. We want you to, to drive up in our parking lot like a drive-in movie theater. We're going we're to have a screen, and we're going to have a movie, and we're going to have popcorn and drinks, and, and we're going to be all socially distanced and safe as we do it. But, but people are going to be able to come and enjoy a movie with their family free on us. But we want to do that to reach out. And, you know, it says, hopefully, to the community, they, they care. They care. Anytime we do something, we, we always tie it to the gospel. We always tie it to the good news of Jesus Christ. We're not just going out going, hey, we're great people. Well, we are great people, we know. But, but we're not just saying, hey, look at us, because we want God to get the glory for it. We, we want to see Jesus lifted up, see Jesus exalted. You know, so we, all kinds of things, and continue to think about the things that we can do as a church. I'm excited, excited to see where God's going to take it. But, you know, it's going to take some folks who are committed disciples of Christ to make a difference. And we are making a difference in this community, but I'm excited to see what else is going to happen, where else God is going to take us. You know? so, so I get a little impatient. Cause I, okay, God, I just want to know, again, I, the block scheduler, give me the PowerPoint. So I can see, follow the roadmap, at least give me the outline, right? God says, just hang on, hold on, it's coming, just wait. I'm excited to see, but we get on board by being disciples of Christ and saying, God, we are ready, take us wherever you will take us, because we want you to get the glory. Why don't you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this reminder of what it means to be a true disciple of Christ. And Father, we just, we love you. And Lord, I pray that you will help us to to have the strength and to have what it takes to be the best follower of Christ that we can be. Again, not so people look at us and say, what a great person, what an amazing Christian they are, but so that they look at us and say, wow, you know, I see Jesus in them. I, I see I see the love of God in that person right there, and it makes a difference. It makes a difference. Father, help us to be that, to be willing to make a difference. Lord, I pray if there be anyone here this morning who, who needs to make a decision for you, whatever that looked like. Maybe they're thinking, yeah, I want to be a disciple of Christ, but I need to know Jesus Christ first. And, and maybe it's that stepping out and, and accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Lord, I'd love to talk to those folks. And, and Lord, maybe it's some other decision. Maybe it's to say, you know what, it's time for me to put away my stuff and to get out your stuff, to, to start focusing on you, to, to make you center of everything about my life, Lord, so that you get the glory for it. Lord, I just thank you for all of those who would decide today is the day, tomorrow's a new day, and I'm going to be better than I was today because you deserve it. Father, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.